Hi, I'm Pastor Corey, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that path. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. This morning, our scripture lesson comes to us from the book of Joshua. It is our final week in our Stones of Remembrance series. And so next week we will begin a new sermon series. So all of your rock puns, you better use them today, all right? It's the last chance. We are turning to Joshua 10, 6 through 14. In your uh, Bible, and your, your pew Bible, that's page uh, 192 and 193. And the Gibeonites sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal, saying, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who live in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the fighting force with him, all the mighty warriors. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have handed them over to you. Not one of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal, and the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who inflicted a great slaughter on them at Gibeon, chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Haran, and struck them down as far as Ezekah and Machedah. As they fled before Israel, while they were going down the slope of Beth Haran, the Lord threw down huge stones from heaven on them as far as Ezekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the Israelites killed with the sword. On the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the Israelites, Joshua spoke to the Lord, and he said with the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ashalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Joshua? The sun stopped in midheaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since, when the Lord heeded a human voice. For the Lord fought for Israel. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, indeed. Good morning. I'm Adam Seat, lead pastor here at Orange. And I tell you, I was noticing as I was sitting there in the front row, I can't help but be captured by the beauty of our stained glass windows and the light shining through. Uh, sometimes during the week, I'll just come in here for a few moments and sit and pray and reflect and look upon those windows. We call this place a sanctuary, a place of safety and peace. And this week, our community, uh, that image of safety and sanctuary was uh, fractured once again. As we were here at the church, hearing so many law enforcement officers speeding down MLK, responding to campus, we knew something was going on before we knew exactly what. But it was very terrifying and frightening. I began to receive calls, uh, messages from former parishioners of other communities who have children in school on campus at, at UNC asking me to check in on their Tar Heels. I think about the students that were on the first day of school that had to experience a lockdown in the public schools here in our community. Just such fear, such terror that struck our community once again. And so it's good to come to a place like this, to come to be together, to be in the presence of God, and to be able to experience once again that peace. My prayer is that peace continues to fall upon us all as we worship 
in this time. Let's go to God in prayer once again. God of grace and God of mercy. In those moments when we are filled with so much fear, we are reminded that you are still God. In those moments that we are dealing with such things that cause such confusion and uncertainty, let us be reminded that you are still God. Your ways are not our ways. Your timing is not our timing. But your ways are perfect. And your timing is always perfect. So God, allow us to place all our hope and trust in you. May you pour out your spirit upon all of those that have been impacted this week. And may they all feel the peace that comes from the God that is always with us. Now in this time that we share together in worship, Lord, may your Holy Spirit speak to us as we've heard your word read and now as it is to be proclaimed. May you speak to us once again, transforming the words that proceed from my mouth and as they fall upon our ears and penetrate our hearts. May they be changed into the word of God that we need to hear today as individuals and collectively as one body. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. A passage of scripture that Pastor Corey read so eloquently. Thank you. Uh, you never know, no matter how many times you practice saying some of the names of places in the Bible, I, I develop a mental block. And I, I might have said it perfectly, but this, this morning at 9 o'clock, boy, I stumbled. So it was beautiful that Pastor Corey did such an excellent job reading that scripture. And as we're reading that, it, it might seem a little out of context. Uh, don't worry, we're going to spend some moments talking about that context, setting up the understanding of exactly how God did something that day that had never been done before. We'll come back to that in just a little bit, but... Getting into this mindset, I am the son, many of you know, of a retired now United Methodist pastor. I grew up living in parsonages. It used to be the way that the church would provide and take care of the pastor's family is they would oftentimes have a house. A lot of times it was right next door to the church or across the street from the church, which was convenient in a lot of ways because when it's right next door or across the street, you have very little excuse for ever being late to church. You know, I can't really say, well, the traffic caused a little delay today. And it was convenient if you forgot something and you just had to hop back to the house. One of the unfortunate things about always living right next to the church in a church-owned parsonage is Everyone knows where the pastor lives and the pastor's family. And in fact, I served one particular church that had a beautiful parsonage, but when we moved there, it was about a mile away from the church. And so they wanted to identify that this was the parsonage for the church. So they had a big sign out in front of the parsonage, Wesley Chapel United Methodist Church Parsonage. Everybody in the community knew where the preacher lived. That was convenient in some ways and in some ways unfortunate. Anybody in the community that had any sort of need at any time of day saw that sign and thought they meant that, that my home was open for business. 
And so all the time had all kinds of people. But when we first moved to that church, it was one of the first churches that I even had served. My children were small. And they were just little boys. And we moved into this community and, and unpacking the boxes. But one of the things I noticed was the yard was huge. Having lived in Parsonages my entire life, I had never seen a yard as big as this one. And I remember asking, well, how, how much is this yard? How big is this yard? They said, well, about an acre. I said, oh, and, and who takes care of the lawn? They're like, well, well, that's you. You do. I said, well, where's the rotting lawnmower? Oh, there's a push mower in the storage building out back. You just go get that and you, you'll be fine. For this whole yard? They were like, well, Frank did it. Frank was the pastor that preceded me who retired at that appointment. And here I was at the beginning of my ministry. And I'm thinking, well, if Frank could do it when he's that age, I should be able to do it at this age. But I didn't want to do it. I mean, it was, I mean, they said it was about an acre, but let's be honest, it had to be at least two acres. And as I looked at that yard, I just kept putting it off. And as we do in our system, we oftentimes will move at the end of June or early July. And so that's the prime time that the grass is growing and my boys are little, so I'm having to tend to helping out with Jennifer with them and we're unpacking boxes and we're trying to get settled into this house. And people started to gently say, you know, that, that mower, it's a good mower. That, that mower, it's, it'll cut that yard. I know, I know. They're trying to send that subtle reminder that the yard needed to be taken care of. After all, it said Wesley Chapel United Methodist Church Parsonage. It was a part of their identity. And so as the week went on, I just kept putting it off. I knew I was going to have to get to it, but I kept putting it off. I mean, four acres is a lot of yard <laughs> to have to mow. That weekend, someone in the church who lived just down the, uh, just about a half a mile from our house on the straight, busy Highway 13 road, they had a pool party and they invited us to come to let our children come and swim and get to know some of the folks in the church. And so we went down that Saturday and we're spending a little bit of time just fellowshipping, enjoying talking with people. And there, someone reminded me once again, you know, that mower. It's not a bad mower. It'll do a good job mowing that yard. <laughs> And so I really picked up on the hint, and I knew I probably needed to go back to the house and mow the yard. So I made my way back. Jennifer and the boys stayed at the pool party, and everyone else did. And I said, I did say as I was on my way out, I said, you know, for a yard that's five acres, I'm probably, I'm probably going to need some help to mow this yard, but I'll do what I can. And so I went back to the house, and I got the lawnmower ready, I filled up the tank, made sure I had plenty of gas, because when you're mowing eight acres, it just, you gotta make sure you have enough gas. And so I, I, I got it started and I went out to the front and, and I started right along the busy highway part and, and I'm walking along pushing that mower and about 30 minutes later, when I got to the point of being able to turn back in the other direction, I, I just was already worn out. And so I got to the end, I turned around again and I could see something down the highway. I could see something. I wasn't sure what it was, but I could tell it was something coming closer. You could see some dust kicking up on the side of the road. And, and, and as I made my way, I turned around and went the other way, and I kept looking back because I could still tell it was getting closer. And when I turned around again, I discerned it's a rotten lawnmower. Now somebody, I, I started thinking, 
Somebody is just riding a riding lawnmower for transportation when I'm the one that needs it to mow this 10-acre yard. And they're just riding it for fun. And, and so I see them, and as they get closer, I begin to realize, that's one of the ladies that was at the pool party, riding the riding lawnmower just for transportation. But then I see she pulls, when she gets to my house, she pulls into the yard. And she waves, goes around to the back, and next thing you know, she engages the mower blades, and she starts mowing my backyard. And it was one of the most beautiful things I had ever seen. And so as I kept mowing in the front, because 12 acres is going to take several hours for you to do. And as she finished up in the back, she came and mowed in the front. And then she started pulling off like she was going to just ride her mower back home. And I waved her down. I said, well, why did you do that? And she said, well, you said you needed help. And I, I did. I was so grateful. And I bought a riding lawnmower the next week. <laughs> I was so grateful that somebody heard me when I said I need help. Somebody heard me. And I said I needed help. They acted upon that. You know, it's so hard for us to say, I need help. It is so hard for us to ask for help. Sometimes it's our pride that gets in the way. Sometimes we're ashamed that we have to ask somebody else to do something for us. It's our pride or shame. We feel guilty having to ask someone else for help. It is so hard for us to ask for help. And this week... <laughs> It's hard. We're carrying so many different things that we're going through in this world. It's just hard sometimes to acknowledge it to somebody else. I need help. This scripture that, that Pastor Corey read a few moments ago, I want to come back to it and set it into context just a little bit more so we can really sort of see what God is doing through Joshua. If you remember last week, we actually started off with God talking with Joshua, giving him these instructions. But we were also reminded how at the very beginning of Joshua chapter 1, God spoke to Joshua. And he said to him three different times, be strong and courageous. And if God is having to tell Joshua three different times to be strong and courageous, that means that Joshua was anything but. And so God is trying to pour into him. Be strong and courageous. Be faithful. Do everything that I say. Don't go to the right. Don't go to the left. Just go straight ahead. Exactly follow my will, my ways. And I will be with you. Be strong and courageous for I will never forsake you. And so, as we proceeded, we saw, we talked about the story last week about how God did something remarkable through Joshua and leading the people around the city of Jericho. Remember, for six days, they marched around the city of Jericho and they blew the trumpets. And then on the seventh day, they marched around the city seven times, blew the trumpets, they shouted, and the walls fell down and they overtook Jericho. And then God had given very explicit instructions that when they go in, they were not to take anything that might have been dedicated to another God, not, might have been a part of other worship. They were not to take anything like that. But it just so happened, one person saw something. One person saw something. He saw this purple garment that he really thought was neat. He liked it. He took it. He saw some silver, and he thought, it's not going to hurt anybody. Even though God had said, don't do it, this man did it. Hid it in his tent. 
Well, then, as they are to go and proceed to, to take the next city, they send in spies. The spies come back and say, oh, man, they, we've got this. We don't even have to send the whole troops. We'll just send a small contingent. We'll take care of it. So they send that small group into battle. But they got overwhelmed. They lost like 36 of their soldiers died that day. And they, they fled in fear. They thought, surely God has forsaken us. And Joshua falls to the ground before God. He falls to the, God, the ground pleading to God, what have you done? Why have you forsaken us? And God said, you have forsaken me. And he identifies that someone has taken something from Jericho that they should never have taken. And so they ultimately find out who it is that had done it. And... This is a sermon series called Stones of Remembrance. So you can probably have a good idea of what happened to Achan, the one who had taken the things. I should be pummiced for the, even oh, saying that. Yeah. You said, you said to use the last of the puns. And so then they're ready. God gives Joshua this brilliant military strategy. Friends, I served a church in Fayetteville. I had a lot of 82nd Airborne and special forces that were a part of my church. And when we would teach in the Bible studies on the book of Joshua, it was remarkable to hear some of these specially trained warriors talk about how they had learned about this military strategy in the context of preparing for war. And so in this strategy, what God tells Joshua to do is take some of your soldiers and send them around behind the city. And then you present at the front. And as you begin to approach, the soldiers will come out of the city to attack yours while yours remain in hiding in behind. And when they flee out, then your soldiers are to attack from behind and set the city on fire. And then the soldiers, will, you will turn around and the soldiers that have fled from the city, they will see the fire and they will be overwhelmed. And sure enough, this strategy proves amazing. God, they followed exactly what God had said. And they were able to see how God is their constant help when they continue to stay faithful, when they continue to stay true. God continues to prove to them time and time again that if you just do what I say, I will be with you. It turns out that these people from a nearby community called Gibeon, they learn of what all God is doing through Joshua and the people of Israel, and they're fearful. So they come up with a plan because God had said you're not to make a covenant with anybody in the land because if you make a covenant with anybody in the land, then they are going to be a thorn in your side for the remainder. But these people of Gibeon, what they do is they say, we'll go to Joshua and say, we're not from around here. We're from far, far away. We have come from afar. And in fact, the way to prove that we're from afar, wear your dirtiest old sandals. Wear, take your wineskins and have the oldest cracked ones, the ones that look completely worn out. And we'll take our satchel with breadcrumbs that are moldy and dry. And so they go, and they go to Joshua and the people of Israel, and they say, oh, we've come from far, far away. We're not from anywhere around here. And Joshua even asked, how do we know that you're not from around here? And they said, well, look at our sandals. Look at our wineskins. Look at our bread. And they see it, and they believe it. And then the scripture says that the leaders did not consult God. And so they made a covenant. They made a when they made a covenant, they took the name of God and said, by the name of God, we will not harm you. By the name of God, you will be as one of us. Well, then they find out that these people are from a nearby village, but it's too late. They've already made this covenant in the name of God, and they take the name of God very seriously. And so Joshua said, while you may be one of us, you are now going to be the ones that bear our water. You'll cut our, our wood. You'll do all these things. You'll be our servants. 
And so then these other people in the nearby villages, I know this is a long story, I'm sorry, I'll get to it. These other villages, these, they're so spread out, they, they learn that the people of Gibeon have entered into this covenant with the people of Israel. And they're mad. They're mad. They want to stand up against them. And so they band together several armies to go and attack the people of Gibeon. The people of Gibeon send message to Joshua. We're being attacked and you are to be taking care of us. We are you. We are one of you. So Joshua goes to attack. That's where we are today. <laughs> In that passage that Pastor Corey read, Joshua and his armies are coming. They are coming. And to show that God is with them, God does something so unique. It says that hailstones fall from the sky and begin hitting upon the other army that Joshua and his people are coming after. It says that more people died that day by hailstone than by sword or spear. That's, that's phenomenal. I mean, that God, a God that is fighting for you, a God that is fighting for them, that does more of the battle than they themselves were going to have to do. But then, this battle is so big because Joshua's got to take care of these people. He's got to take care of the Gibeonites for they now are part of Israel. And Joshua says to something to God. Joshua says, let the sun stand still. Let the moon stand still until this battle is done. He petitions God to do something that is absolutely ridiculous, absolutely impossible, that the sun would stand still, that the moon would not move until the battle was complete. But he knows that this battle is too important. And so he cries out to God, let the sun stand still, let the moon stand still until this battle is done. And the scripture says that God does something that day that has never been done before or never been done again. That the moon, that the sun and the moon stood still until the battle was over. Joshua, he had to ask for help. He had to ask God for that help. Now, now, before Joshua asked for help, God was already helping. God was already throwing the hailstones. God was already right there in the battle with him. And a lot of times, right in the middle of our battles that we're facing, God is already providing help. God is already right there with us before we even asked. But Joshua knows that to finish this battle, he can't do it on his own. He's got to have that help from God. And he goes to God with the impossible, that the sun and the moon would stand still. But the thing is, in the economy of God, the impossible becomes impossible. And God does that which never had been done before so that this battle could be won. Friends, you might be in the midst of a battle right now. And you already can see the way that God is throwing those stones. God is already right there in the midst of that battle that you are enduring. But it's time for us to take that next step. Say, God, I need help. I can't do this on my own. We put away the shame. We put away the guilt. Put away the fear. Say, God, I surrender. I need your help. Like Joshua calling out to God to do the impossible. Maybe you'd be willing to surrender it all to God so that we might see how God joins us. You only have to ask. 
God is more than ready and willing to hear our cries. You only have to ask. So today, as we share together in the sacrament of Holy Communion, as we receive this this bread and this cup, we are reminded that within us there is a God-shaped hole. Within us there is a hole that is needing to be filled, and it cannot be filled by anything else until we surrender. And as we receive the gift of this bread and this cup, we are receiving the living presence of God within us. We're saying, God, I'm a sinner in need of grace. God, I'm a child that needs your hand. Today, as we come to the table, may we come as those who are willing to lay it all down. May we come to the table seeking the presence of God. May we come to the table asking for that help. Let us pray. Lord God, we all need help. The world that we are in is far, full of far too many battles. They're far too great. You are ever, always ready to be our help. But we are far too reluctant to ask for it. Today, God, we cry out to you. For whatever struggles or battles that we may be enduring. Lord, we cry out to you. We put aside our shame, our guilt, our fear. Lord, we need you. And so speak to us, Lord. Whether through the sharing of this cup and this bread. Or through the songs or the prayers. Or just the presence of one another. May we feel how you are already at work. God, we pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.